It's the Horrorphoria Podcast. Don't touch that dial. Andy Gilly and John Richards are your hosts of this weekly podcast to rate and review horror movies. Is it good? Is it bad? <laughs> Is it a classic? Find out now. <laughs> Welcome to the Horror For You podcast. It is Friday, February 12th of 2021. Episode number 97. We're talking about My Bloody Valentine, the original from 1981. We're broadcasting from our, forgive me, is red. Violets are blue. One is already dead. And you are too. Studios in Wausau, Wisconsin. I'm John Richards. And Andy Gilly. And we have a special guest today. We do. It's She's been on, on the yes. podcast a few times. A few times. Yes, we love Anya Gore here at Horrorphoria. She's an Instagram horror model with Malevolent Productions. Uh, she's got a really great podcast called Horror and More with Anya Gore, where she explores some really great personal stuff and horror-related things. She's currently doing an homage to Donnie Darko. You should follow, like her, and check her out on Instagram. Uh, welcome, Anya. Thank you for having me. I love being on this podcast. You guys are so much fun. Well, we appreciate having you. And I, I got to say, Anya, and I, it, we normally just like to like just let loose and have a little fun. But your most recent episode, uh, I believe it's called Why You Should Listen to My Podcast, is probably one of the most personal ones. Because I know that you talk about, you know, different subjects. You talked about uh, polyamory. But this one, you, you, you delved in deep. And I don't want to give too much away, but you, you just really got personal on this last one. I did. Yeah. I mean, it's information that I think needs to be out there because there's so many people that deal with depression and stuff, but dealing with postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder is a whole level, different yeah. level. I mean, you, you put some stuff out there that I, I think a lot of women can relate to, especially women that have had children, that it just really kind of, uh, it, it hit me not being a parent. It really hit me kind of like, Wow, I, I didn't realize. I mean, it's like, what can I do to help? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. That's that's what that's what I want. I want people to listen to that. And even if they haven't experienced it, I want them to go, wow, I know someone that has. And holy moly. <laughs> and that's how you're going to continue your, your podcast. Obviously, I mean, you are our horror movie diva and, and you talk about horror movies and genres and stuff like that. But you're also going to get personal on your podcast, too. Oh, yeah. I've got a couple difficult topics coming up. One of them is going to be dealing with PTSD and I haven't experienced it, but the people that will be on there have. So stay tuned. Great, great topic. We are looking forward to it. So uh, make sure you check it out. Also check out the uh, podcast with, uh, with Mr. Andy Gilly and Anya <laughs> when they talk about vampires, which was, yeah. uh, that, that was a lot of fun to listen to, by the way. I was a good one. It was a lot of fun to do. <laughs> it was. And, I, and I, w I want to reiterate that I didn't talk over you. There was some sort of technical problem there that put our voices on top of each other. So when you listen to yeah, that one, just I, realize that <laughs> wouldn't talk over on it's, you. It's technology, Anya. Don't worry about yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I'm horror very good at it. I should be, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, horror movie horror news. Horror movie news. So it's on Bloody Disgusting. So it must be legitimate horror movie news, not just something only I find interesting because of my bromance with Danzig, right? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> well, Danzig released his NSFW trailer for uh, Death Rider in the House of Vampires this week on Bloody Disgusting. <laughs> I gotta say, the acting for sure seems better, even from Danzig himself, who's in it. His, uh, he's a character named Bad Bathory. Julian Sands, Kim Director, Devin Sawa, Danny Trejo. Yeah, sign me up, man. I uh, know. Looks uh, good. I it know. does. You're excited about I this. I am excited about this. What did you say when I asked you about it, though? Well, I don't get the telenovela look. 
like it's it's got kind of a soap opera look to it and i don't know if he like used actual like video cameras to film this instead of just digital cameras which i think would have been cheaper but i mean you can fake film perfectly with digital these days so i, I don't know if he i'm not sure if he just found some old like news cameras to do this in or or what but uh, that's the only thing that seems to be detracting from it it look it has a bit of an 80s adult film feel it does maybe he's going for that i don't know it feels like a skinamax movie that's what it feels like uh, skinamax is usually filmed in film though actually too so i don't know i don't know what he's doing but the acting definitely seems better and danny trejo is in it yeah did you see this trailer anya i did not but i'll see anything with danny trejo i'll give it a chance (laughs) Machete. Maybe nobody else cares about Danzig's uh, art as much as me. <laughs> oh, we just got to read the source material, right? Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's thank that's, you. A, that's really you. funny. That's a good one. That okay. is a good one. Uh, I do not believe there is source material. I don't think there's any comics to this one, but uh, <clears throat> I think he just wrote this up as a movie. But uh, we'll, 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 we'll check it out when it comes out. I'm sure. Uh, My Little Slice of Hell, which is a generally horror-related Instagram, reported that Michael Gray Eyes, you remember him from Blood Quantum? I do remember him. He was one of the main characters. He's been cast as Rainbird in the Blumhouse readaption of Firestarter. Oh, wow. Yeah, Martha De Laurentiis, who is an associate producer on the 1984 Firestarter, will executive produce this uh, upcoming film. The original star, Drew Barrymore, is a young girl who developed pyrokinetic powers. I believe it's a um, Stephen King book too right? something like that you know? maybe it is yep. yeah that's right yeah um tate taylor the director of ma has some new uh, some ideas for a sequel to the 2019 movie starring octavia spencer in an interview with entertainment weekly taylor says that he deliberately left ma's death ambiguous in the film because he knows that octavia spencer would be willing to return to make the sequel he proposed an idea where spencer's character uh what he said was uh spencer's character my idea is that she's moved to another town which would be kind of necessary because everybody knows her in this town, sure. <laughs> town she's in uh and she has open houses in another city and kills people in the open house uh, I think she'd be a real estate agent in the Pacific Northwest and just murder people looking at McMansions that's as far as I've gotten is what he said yeah <laughs> so that movie's alright I mean I saw it, it no, Octavia bad. Spencer was awesome in it yeah. she's just really fantastic I'd love to see her in more horror movies here's something uh, that you don't know Anya is that Andy actually used to work with her sister I did <laughs> Oh, I, I did not know that. Yeah, I worked with Erika Spencer. So, yeah. Um, uh, and Octavia is just uh, fantastically talented in everything she's been in. Uh, she, she, yes, Ma's agreed. No, Ma's no exception, you know. What um, was that movie with, um, was it called The Help or something like that? Uh, she was, she yeah. was the star I, of that. I watched that. Mm-hmm. That is a fantastic movie. It, it's it's absolutely great. Hidden figures, everything she's been in, she's just great. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, other than that, not much going on. There's some fight footage in the Japanese trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong. You might want to check that out. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not a kaiju fan, but, not, you know, the people are. People are. That's fine. Yeah, fun. kaiju is horror, too. Uh, not much else going on this week. Oh, actually, uh, did you get Shutter out there in Canada yet there, Anya? I don't have it yet, but it is here. Okay. Uh, well, Joe Bob's hosting a uh, Valentine's Day-themed um watch party thing mm. on shutter tonight starts at what would be our eight o'clock our time six o'clock your time I, i'm the the director of love witch is going to be a special guest so i'm assuming that's going to be one of the movies out there so 
That's just a little side note that I saw. I'm, I'm pretty cool. I'm a big Joe Bob fan. Yeah, we can use any, all the news we can get this week. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> all right, here's horror movie trivia. Uh, out of the audience score of Rotten Tomatoes, which of the bloody My Bloody Valentine movies, 1981 or 2009, got the better score mm, out of the audience? We'll, we'll let Anya go for it yeah. first. Audience? Yeah. Um, probably the original. Okay. Andy. Out of the, uh, the so the audience score we're talking about, not critic score. Correct. Wow, um, that'd be a wild ass guess. I'm just gonna say, uh, well, logically, you'd think the original, but what what's the answer? You guys are both right. Really, 1981, 52 percent to a 44 percent. Hmm. But on the other side of that, the 2009 movie got a better critic score, 60 percent to 54 percent. Interesting. Have either of you seen the uh, 2000? What nine? You said it was. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Though. Yeah. Have, 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 oh, you saw it a long time ago. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen I it. I have not seen it, but I've been recommended to see it. We'll, hmm. we'll see if I do. <laughs> so why why did we make Anya come on here and, and review this? Is it because it's a Canadian movie? We make her do all the Canadian movies? No, because she likes coming on the podcast. <laughs> okay. I thought we were just making her do the can- everything Canadian here. Wait, <laughs> so we're not we going to can- pigeonhole her can- like that. Can- well, that's what I was afraid of. We were like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'm okay with it. I'll represent right. Canada. <laughs> like, we, like we just need a Canadian perspective because it's a Canadian <laughs> film. <laughs> so, no, it was so, a bit of while. I don't know. I just I was wondering. Uh, okay, it just seemed because we made her do um, uh, Ginger Snaps too, which was uh, that was Canadian. No, but that was a completely different one because we were not going to be too <laughs> no, white well, dudes talking was, about that, like going through. Yeah. Going through uh, maturity level as, as a woman. We that was definitely why we had you on last time. It wasn't because it was a Canadian movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't say that I'm going to bring the same opinion to this movie. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got a trivia question? I just gave Oh, you just one. gave your trivia question. That's right. Okay. So the movie purportedly had nine minutes cut out to make it a rated R movie after the MPA became much more strict with slasher films after the backlash to uh, Friday the 13th. Last year in 2020, Scream Factory released an uncut version. How long was that version? This uh, one's 91 minutes. Uh, the one I watched was 91 minutes. Mm-hmm. Anya, you got a guess? Well, if it was an additional nine minutes, then 100 minutes? <laughs> So, yes. Uh, no, it was 93 minutes. So they said they couldn't find this nine minutes of footage that had purportedly been uh, uh, cut. And they could only they, they only put like two extra minutes in it. But I guess it really improves the movie. I bet you it's just Axel like going off and sulking somewhere for an extra nine minutes. <laughs> it's, it, no, it's not. I read. I, I, I haven't seen the uncut footage, but I read about it, and we'll we'll talk about it during the, while we're talking about the movie. All right, all right. Well, uh, Andy's chainsaw plot. Years ago, a series of killings rocked a small mining town after a tragedy in the mines. The killer warned the townspeople to never have a Valentine's Day dance again. Now, some feel enough time has passed to resume the tradition, but will the killer return to exact revenge? Good call. Here's your spoiler alert. Uh, unnecessary, by the way, because this is from 1981. We are talking about My Bloody Valentine from 1981 in its entirety. If you have not seen this movie, pause the podcast, go watch it, and find out what we thought about the movie. Uh, Anya, initial thoughts of My Bloody Valentine, 1981. Yeah, overrated. Um, <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. It took me five very difficult watches to get through it to get these notes 
but I did it <laughs> for you guys. You're a trooper. We appreciate it. <laughs> Andy. All right. Thoughts. So, uh, yeah, I thought the, the this was this is kind of regarded as a um, well, I, I hate to say the word, but classic. OK, it, it really is. Uh, and um, I felt that if you look at it through the lens of like the other 80s slashers like the first Friday the 13th and uh, some of the other early 80s slashers uh, so the Halloweens of that era and stuff it it stacks up I, I think that it it was it was more devoid of gore than it should have been like the kills were a lot of cutaway kills and things like that and I think that was due to the nine purportedly nine minutes I guess maybe it's more like two that got cut out of this movie mm-hmm. um, so I think maybe if that had it, it would have been a lot better movie if they'd have been able to leave the things that uh, they had cut out out of it I think it really suffers from being very dated i think that uh the kids are well i don't know i guess they're adults because they have jobs and stuff Uh, the people the young people in this movie are very obnoxious and and annoying (laughs) i was kind of waiting for them to die Uh, but i think that's more due to the um i don't know the, the the way that kids were depicted in movies back then then uh, and, and if you look past that, there I think is a decent story here, uh, and, and it uh, I think it's it's a okay slasher movie if you if you uh, if you consider all of that. Yeah, yeah. I've heard I've <laughs> I've heard this referred to as a classic, and you know I I don't know what people's litmus test of a classic is. Is it because it got remade? You know. Back in 2009, so that would be what, like almost 30 years later. Um, God, <laughs> it's not. It's it's an okay. I think we're all on the same page here. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's got the same exact characters, pretty much the same storyline. I think I think the one thing it does carry with my bloody Valentine is kind of a love story or, or like a love triangle type thing, which was different. <laughs> I, yeah. That was a, a, a different kind of theme that you would see in any other movie because they kind of carried it really far yeah and it, all the way yeah all, all it, the way. It, it, it takes you it took me out of the movie i mean I, again i've seen this a while ago and and i remember it being better maybe just because i i, I enjoyed the the you know the zaniness of it but but actually putting a critical eye to it it felt like the director really took it too seriously like like most slasher movies, I mean, even like the director of Sleepaway Camp goes, you know, this is just going to be silly. We're going to let it fly, which to me, you know, that's why it's such a classic. This didn't do that. This movie was like, like taking itself way too seriously. And the acting and, 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 and the themes of it were like, no, this is not you're you're you're, you're not getting the point of a slasher. I mean, again, most of them. Unless you're doing a Michael Myers, because Michael Myers is not funny. I mean, the the Jason thing, because they did these outlandish kills. I mean, the, some of the Michael kills are kind of funny in the first one. And you're like, oh, that was silly. He hangs the guy up and puts a butcher knife through his chest and he's hanging right there and he's looking at him. Uh, but this, I mean, some of these were just crazy. I, I don't know. I mean, so, was, I th- uh, so I think that's that's part of the problem here is that like the, like some of the kills were very underwhelming because yeah. they got there was like I said a lot of cutaway kills and you saw the aftermath and that's really where the gore was. Um, 
I mean, the um, sticking the guy's face in the hot, boiling hot dog water was memorable. You know, I mean, it's that that's almost as good as. But like you just said, it was a cutaway because you saw it happen, and right. that's it. You don't see the guy no, until right. like later in the movie, and then the, you know a heart is in there, and it's boiling with the hot dogs. Yeah. yeah. All of the the gore scenes were cutaways. It was really, really, really disappointing. That's one of my notes. And the blood, I'm sorry, just looked like straight up ketchup. (laughs) Come on, there's been so many other movies that came out at that time that had quality blood. But this one, red paint or something, I was really disappointed. Yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, the whole story starts with this. You know this this Harry Warden guy. Mm-hmm. You know he was uh, he was one of the survivors of this the explosion that had happened, and he went back for his revenge. And you know that that was that it was so disjointed with the story of the Harry Warden guy. Um, I, I get I I love the idea of that. Uh, of this guy came to town because you know he you know something happened to him he almost became supernatural and super strong that he came back to this town after he recovered and just like took his revenge but then he's coming back 20 years later and then they made it a point with the mayor and the sheriff of like continually throughout the movie going well geez you know we got to find out where this hairy guy is and and they call the insane asylum of where he was supposed to be and we have no record of this guy are you freaking kidding me this guy just committed like a, a serial murder in this town i thought this was hilarious how they had to call and they were like oh we'll look it up on the microfilm we'll have you the answer in like three days they didn't know where he was yeah we, it's like, gonna take us a couple of weeks to find this <laughs> what <laughs> well I, I i think that was a uh that was a an aspect of of the time too I mean they don't have computer records of this they have to go search through microfilm to find out where, what happened to this guy you know yeah but they, see that's that's one of the notes that I took too and at that time they would be aware of someone that had killed various people in a town mm-hmm. that was a survivor from a mining incident who was struggling to stay alive by becoming a cannibal and yet they just don't know where he went it just the writing was very flawed in this story and did you notice how they brushed over him being a cannibal because they showed like when they were when they're going to the flashback you see him eating some dude's arm yeah and they just brushed over that completely how did he survive well he was that that was my biggest biggest issue with this movie is the storyline his storyline about what happened to him and how he was the only survivor and when they found him yeah he was eating someone's arm that was the only reference to that part of the story was in a like less than a one minute dialogue about that Mm -hmm. and that was it i felt like if they had really shown that craziness of him losing his sanity after being stuck down there for days and having to kill all these other survivors to live and then he gets out and he's completely lost his sanity Mm -hmm. that would have made such a better story but they just really focused on the love story instead of where this guy came from and why he was the way he was i again i think the writing was completely flawed here and they missed so much potential yeah, and I mean, even the kill in the uh, laundromat, Madam, whatever her name was, um, that could have been so much better because it started out great because he was stalking her, and that's where where you know he left the he left the heart for her, and she read it. The roses are red, violets are blue. Poem. And it's like he chased her and then all of a sudden, you know, off screen, you see the pickaxe come up and then cut scene to the next day. 
Yeah. And it's like you find her burnt up in a in a dryer. Oh, by the way, this sheriff was so incompetent that, that you know, he's looking, where are you at? Where are you at? And there's blood. <laughs> there's blood, there's there blood, blood all in this, in this dryer. There's a bloody dryer, yeah. And, and, and then, oh, wait. And a burning flesh smell yeah, throughout the, the... Yeah, and he's yeah. like, something stinks in here. It, it could be that bloody one that you just stood right next to that you didn't even look into. I, I like, that's such a missed opportunity. They could have... That would have been such a fun scene to watch him put her in the dryer, turn it on, and hearing the thump of her head go around. No, I totally agree. That, that would have been great. <laughs> but uh, Maybe that, I, that was the nine minutes that were missing. I really do think there's a lot that we're missing uh, in, in those scenes. And, you know, I, I thought when she fell out of the dryer, that was kind of a good scene. I thought you know, that I thought yeah. those effects were good. I mean, the guy who did the effects on this, John Logan, did also... He's um, Halloween 3. Uh, season of the Witch. He he was the effects supervisor on that film as well. See, I, I thought that I thought the dead body looked great. Yeah, seriously, I, I, I thought the practical I think the, effects were were good. Yes, I do. I think the practical effects in this and like uh, as far as like the blood and stuff, I think maybe he just kind of glanced or maybe he did use ketchup. Maybe that's all he had the budget for or something. <laughs> after doing these, these fantastic effects, like when this bartender gets killed, apparently, and not, and like I said, I've only read about this. I haven't seen it, but apparently, he like the uh, pickaxe goes through his eye and pops out his eyeball and that would be pretty awesome to see. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that would have been one redeeming kill scene. <laughs> exactly. So I think a lot of the budget went in. John loves it when I talk about the budget and, and, and make excuses for movies based on the budget. But hey, we've seen better movies with lower budgets. I, I think, the, I think mm-hmm. the budget was used up on a lot of these scenes that got cut. And uh, that's maybe why some of these because the guy is, is fantastic. He's, he's a great effects. Uh, I, yeah, I, I did think some of the effects look good. Really, yeah. I, I really did. Yeah, and I thought some of it. I think one of the budget issues, I read this, was when they found found this mine, the reason the director wanted to use that specific one in Canada was how how gritty it was. And so when the miners and the corporation that ran the mine found out that they wanted to film it, they painted the interior of it. And when they started filming, the director was mad because that, that was not the aesthetic he was looking for. So at that time, he had to rehire people to repaint it, to make it look dingier and really? it cost them $75,000 of their budget. Oh my God. Really? Back in yeah. 1981, $75,000. That's crazy. I'll tell you that that mine did look good though. I mean, that yeah. the, the aesthetic of that like did give you this claustrophobic feel though. It really did. Similar I think to shooting what shooting in an actual mine in a mining town lent something to this movie. And there's there's something that um, I think there's an aesthetic and, and a feel to this movie that uh, that really helped. It, that's what really gave me my, my sense of kind of dread because it was it felt it did feel claustrophobic because of the way it dipped down and people had to duck down to get through things. And mm-hmm. like being down there and, and however, however many feet down they went, it just I felt that. But it was taken out of the movie with the acting and just everything else. Like the whole story was just like, oof, rough. I, I didn't I didn't feel like that. I, I thought I thought this story was actually pretty good. I think some of the, the way it was uh, it was put out there was kind of silly. Uh, like you know this, 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 the scenes in the bar and the scene in the shower there where everybody's just being super obnoxious. I thought that like was was uh, over the top as far as I don't think people were that obnoxious in the, in the 80s. I, I don't know. I think it, it, that's more of like the director's idea of what wild uh, how kids are wild. 
back in the I think I think it was a representation of social commentary of the working man at that time. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, this town is a small town. And if I remember correctly, in the 80s, especially in Canada, the mining industry wasn't a thriving industry. So all of these men were struggling to get out and do things. So I get it. He, he really had to amp up their small mindedness and the sexist comments. I mean, but the yeah. acting just really. <laughs> well, <laughs> like I agree. Like this Howard guy, he's just over the top ridiculous and, and annoying. Howard. Howard yeah. is the guy with like the, I don't know, uh, he's the Joker guy. Oh, like Hollis. The one with the mustache? Yeah. Is that Hollis? No, oh, not dude. with the mustache. The the guy with the like curly hair who was... Uh, oh, oh, that guy. Yeah, I thought his name was Howard, wasn't the, it? The one with the bad teeth. Maybe he had bad teeth. I don't know. He, was he looked like in, Austin Powers. Yeah, what, he, he was also in... Uh, <laughs> Man, he he had kind of a storied career. Actually, he was in uh, X Files and some other things later on. I I, I did in going back to what you said, Anya. Um, I did like the story of TJ leaving but failing completely, and he had to leave. Uh, what, what was his girlfriend's name? Sarah. 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 He knows that. Yeah, that's my my <laughs> wife's name. <laughs> um, yeah, he had to leave her, and then you know they had this special kissy kissy moment of like I'm so sorry, you know, and I just completely failed. I I actually liked the way they carried that story because he was trying to leave, like you just said, you know, people trying to get out of this town, and it's such a blue collar small town that you're either going to be this or you're going to be that, or you're going to leave and become successful. And and TJ was not successful, and he had to come back and work in the mine. Well, that scene where he forces her to go into his car and (laughs) takes her over to some cliff, their spot. It just everything about the way that these women are treated just is drips of non-consent. Yeah, absolutely. Very cringy. (laughs) And it, it was cringy, but. I mean, it would be one thing if if the story was really solid and it required that kind of representation of women. But I felt like the the non-consent was just a very, very weak story, but very, very prevalent to me. I do. I do agree with that, because the thing is, is that. Um, if if Sarah really had all these feelings for for TJ, you know, she wouldn't be with this Axel dude. And it's just like all of a sudden, you know, he could say some nice words and then, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, everything's great. I mean, she you kind of get a little bit of her being independent of like, you guys need to stop this. You need to quit doing this. But it, it never lands on that. I mean, it never you never get more. No, yeah, where she says even I have my own mouth, thank you, and but that's about it. Right. And then she's nicely escorted away. Yeah. Well, and then Sarah at the end is is trying to. Uh, she she seems to have some kind of aspects of a strong character where she's uh, she's like uh, you know guiding this other girl. I forget what the other girl's name was. Who's who's become hysterical, you know, and she's Hollis's calming girlfriend. her down. Hollis's girlfriend. She's calming her down or whatever. So she's like, some, it seems like she's supposed to be like a strong. character character here but then axel has to come save her yeah you know did you notice that i mean i thought that was uh, that was jarring for a 21st century audience as as far as like the sex there's this movie is very sexist i agree and and the dragging her into that car was um was, was pretty ridiculous and uh it almost seemed like it was um 
at the end she's like smiling and stuff when once she gets put into the car you know like like uh, oh this is the way women like to be treated oh god <laughs> you know I mean? that's what that's the vibe I got out of that that was the, the director you, you remember that like after she was in the car she's like smiling and ha ah, it's, it's really like this is funny or whatever but uh, yeah. And then that touching scene between Sarah and TJ on the water, it was like something out of Love Story with Alan McGraw or something, I think is what they were trying to do there. Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. <laughs> it was too. just silly, I thought. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess what we're, we're supposed to get out of this, that she still has some kind of feelings for him or something. I don't know. Apparently. Apparently. Uh, whatever. And, and I it, like I wasn't really taken in by TJ's story there. Whatever mysterious reason, T, reason TJ left is never, never really explained, I don't think, obviously. I don't think so. You know, I, I didn't really care. It seemed very dramatic, kind of like when people post on Facebook, when they post a dramatic thing without any explanation on Facebook or something, you know. I feel <laughs> I feel equally interested in knowing what happened to TJ. I, guess. It's I didn't not, really give a shit. I didn't care. No, it it did not make me care. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. (laughs) Total illness cluster. (laughs) I I didn't. I mean, it was like there was no No. feeling. So it was it was disgusting the way, especially the way she was like kind of like tossed back and forth between these two douchebags. And it's like, really? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, she tries to speak up and it's just like, you need to calm down. And I've got this under. No, 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 you don't, dude. And the, uh, you know what I did love, though? Hmm. They had a harbinger in this movie. Not the bartender? Or the bartender. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Let me tell you a little tale about. <laughs> so I thought he was supposed to be like a red herring or something for a while. No. I got the idea that like the amount of passion and anger he had over the dance and the proposed party, that he was the one who decided it was killing these kids at first, you know? And obviously that wasn't true because. Have uh, you never seen this movie? Because No, I haven't seen this movie. Oh, really? No, I don't remember ever seeing it before. Because I, even the first time I watched it, I don't know about you, Anya, but the first time I watched that, and that this, this this bartender guy is like, you know, it's just if you understand the trope of a harbinger, you know, he's the guy that give you all the warnings like Friday yeah. the 13th guy. Don't totally. go to that lake and you'll die over there. And, you know, that's that's exactly what they did with this, which I appreciated because I think every slasher needs a harbinger. Sure. And, and you need that, that little backstory or info dump of. This is what happened. This is what's going to happen to you. You better watch out. Yeah, I suppose. I did appreciate that trope for sure, but it it wasn't enough. It was, I I wish that it would have been kind of more subtly placed a little bit more throughout instead of that one, one or two minute scene where it's info dump, not enough information, and that's it. Well, that that was (laughs) it. it, uh, I told you so. (laughs) That was it. Like, he was a little over the top with it. It was almost like he was, uh, he was the one who was extremely angry about, uh, you know, them having this dance and stuff. And then he, he, you know, decides to teach the kids a lesson by setting up this elaborate scare for them. Well, (laughs) in the bar, he he did bring up the story. That that was the big info dump right there. But then, like, they were in the bar later, and it's just like, I can't believe you guys aren't listening to me. Listen, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely his role. You're right. He's the harbinger. You're you're totally right. I I did not catch that. But uh, everybody in this movie though didn't really. It, it was weird that the emotion and the mental distress wasn't there. 
when it came to their friends getting killed until the very end. Mm-hmm. Totally so right. something that I found was a little strange is the mayor and the police both were saying, well, we don't want to panic everybody. There's all these bodies, but we're not going to panic everybody. <laughs> so we're not going to get any help and just hope this goes away well, and the by chi- canceling the dance. Yeah, and, and the chief, though, that, that when Mabel dies in the, in the dryer, he's like, hey, I need you to pull the ambulance around so nobody sees what's going yeah, they on. Cover here. up her death. And, and you know what? We're going to cancel the dance. Why? Just because the mayor said so. Yeah. And I don't know what was in that mind, but it seemed like pheromones were in there because, like, people always wanted to have sex. It yeah, was just like, so. like that first. Well, couple. I mean, I understand that. It's the element of danger. Yes. But <laughs> it wasn't really explained why that first initial couple, why they left. And then she sent him away to get beers and she just happily stayed there and waited. Right. She's, I'll just wait there. I'll just wait yeah. for the right. beer. In but, a mine. But then that other which couple. Women are not allowed to be in, by yes, the way. Yes. Then explicitly. Oh, say that absolutely well women can't <laughs> women go down can't be in the mine what <laughs> what but then but then there was that other couple when like the the group of six of them go down in that little trolley thing and then it's just like hey you know what we don't want to go explore uh there's something down here we're gonna go find a room and uh hey hey <laughs> all right so the 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 scene with um where he goes to get the beers or whatever. I thought this was one of the uh, genuinely scary ones where those clothes are coming down. I don't know if that's like the way they store the miners' clothes or whatever, like that that's coming down on her. I found that to be kind of an effective, scary scene. I thought the scene right after that, when he gets down there and, you know, he's getting ready to go into the shower, he's like, hey, I know where you're at. All right. right. Starting to take off his shirt. And she is pushed up against the shower with the shower head coming out of her out mouth. Out of her mouth. I thought that was a good I wish too. we would have seen that. You I do, see too. him pick her up by the face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. Right. I wanted, I was really, really rooting for that one scene to happen. And then it didn't. <laughs> no, and it got, it cut wah, away again. You're wah, right. Wah, I mean, it did. And, and, I know this is. That's what I felt throughout this entire movie. It had potential, and it would take you up to this one moment, and then nothing. I, and I, th- and I, I think felt the same way with the Axel reveal. Yeah, it was just so anticlimactic, and he's supposed to be this incredibly strong man who can pick up a woman by her face yeah. and just <laughs> put her against a pipe, but yet. Here he is fighting with TJ, and TJ just sort of pushes him over, and so Sarah just pulls off his mask. Well, and the mustache guy very, took very both TJ and Axel out. Yeah, <laughs> the mustache guy like, well, stopped me, them both from fighting. Let me go, go back to that because we do find out at the end that Axel is the murderer. Right. Um, I, I think another problem with this is they didn't they didn't sell that enough. Not at all. Because it was no. just like the no. last little part of the movie of you don't know if if TJ because you kind of pick up on it as they're trying to get out of there. You pick up on it. You don't know who the killer is and they don't sell that enough. Well, and they, you just think it's this Harry Burden guy or was it, was it ever said that it was his dad who was murdered by by this guy? It was. They it wasn't there say, earlier. It, it was, okay. Well, you do. You have a, a scene at the very beginning as you see him walking into that man's house and killing him, but you don't see a child involved until no, later. So you I, don't know what that scene is. I didn't think so. I didn't think we knew that. But I, my that biggest, was my biggest complaint with that scene is once Axel has been 
exposed and then TJ gets Sarah out of there and they happen to run into the policeman who says, oh, yes, I received a telephone call that Harry died five years ago. I wish that we would have been able to see that telephone call, that information get given to him. And they really could have extended the whodunit element aspect of it before the reveal because it could have and sold instead, it, it's like a side comment and it it was just so no you're, you're totally right yeah and it that, that could have sold you know who is the killer you know it is like mm-hmm. who's the red herring who's who's the killer you know because this is back and forth thing and you kind of had to figure that out on your own because you got dumped on that at the end of the movie you know that 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 they, this hairy guy 20 years before had killed axel's dad and then all of a sudden, Axel saw this and he became traumatized and he became the new Harry, right? Right. And it, and it's just like, it, didn't he get his arm chopped off? Because like... like yeah, it, tr- it looked like he did at the end. Uh-huh. It looked like he had no arm at the end. And they mentioned... You mean when, when the mine collapsed on him? Yeah. yeah. It looked like he got and his... And then arm. he ran away yeah. yelling lunatic comments. Yeah. yeah, he was saying, Sarah, my bloody Valentine, said the name of the movie. Said the name of the movie in the movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe his arm looked like it was off uh, at the end. That's what it seemed like to me. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so I, I thought the uh, end of the movie was all right, too. Like, I, for the 80s, like, when, when there was a pretty good chase as they're going up those cars in the tunnel. Okay, I disagree with that. And, okay. And, and here's why. Because they're going through the cars, and st- mm-hmm. or they're going through the tunnels and stuff like that. Didn't that elevator scene seem way too long? Because they kept climbing up the ladder. I can't do it. No, you got to keep going. I can't do it. Well, they got to climb up 2,700 feet, though. I get that. But they extended it. And then all of a sudden, this body fl- flies down. The I guess the uh, the guy that got his face fried in the hot yeah. dogs. Yeah. And then they're, no, oh, no, we got to go back down. And it takes just <laughs> as long to get back down. Yeah. You ever climb up like a radio tower? It doesn't. It's a movie. I get it. I, it takes a long time, but you didn't have to extend it like that. Go up a couple. Oh God! There's the body. Get back down. Not. I'm so scared. I can't go. No, keep going. I'm right behind you. Keep going. I don't know. <laughs> they focused on very odd elements of the slasher movie, <laughs> and they drank so much moosehead beer in this. And there was a lot of moosehead drank in this movie. <laughs> I noticed that too. I didn't even notice that. You didn't? <laughs> a lot of moose had beer in there. I got to tell you, I, there was so many moments of this movie where I was watching it going, I just don't care. I don't care who the killer is. I don't care about the mine. I don't care about this love story. The only thing I was watching it for, aside from obviously reviewing this with you guys, was the hope that I would see some kind of gore. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's a major failing of the film. You're right. I mean, and I think one of the ways this became popular was on cable television. And I think that was because it was basically intact when it moved to cable television. There wasn't a lot that got cut out of it in in the cable, in the transfer over to cable. Like you watch this on WTV or on TBS uh, on cable in the 80s, you're going to see basically the same movie you saw in the uh, theater or you'd see on VHS. Oh, right. I just feel like at the time it was stacked up against too many other previously released horror slasher movies. And they, I get that they tried to do their own thing and kudos to them, but it, it just, yeah, it was flawed. 
I found this to be very influenced by, by Black Christmas. Did you notice that? Huge. Yeah. Massive influence yeah. from Black Christmas in this movie, I thought. I, I thought so, too. Like, they must have been like... I did find out that... Oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. All I was going to say is, I, I feel like they were like, hey, that was a holiday slasher movie. Let's make a... What's the next holiday? Uh, <laughs> Valentine's Day. Let's make a slasher about that. <laughs> we'll use the same elements. I mean, I really thought it was very uh, influenced by, by... There was like the POV shots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that yeah, there was just a lot of elements of Black Christmas that I noticed. Oh, yeah, very similar aesthetic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I did find out that this is apparently Quentin Tarantino's favorite horror movie. Really? Yeah. And he based um, his love of this movie on, and made Death Proof. Really? Actually, yeah. that makes a lot of sense That's if you think about it. Hmm. It's been a long time. He, since he's got some proof. of the same shots where it's a lot of like, like lower ground where you see like you never see they don't pan up to the killer unless he's killing somebody but you see the boots yeah to give you an idea of like yeah. who, who who they are yeah Did you notice that's the- true one th- one thing i did really love about this movie was um every time he would have a kill his light shone into their eyes yep. yes and you would see the very limited acting but you would see some kind of terror in their eyes and I did enjoy that a lot I thought those scenes were great yeah I like that aspect of it too I thought that was really like that is terrifying to have a light shined into your eyes in the dark that's mm-hmm. uh, you know I don't, like if you've ever seen Manhunter the uh, red dragon take off in the 80s the, that's uh, kind of what uh, what uh, Francis Dollarhide does he shines the, the light into their eyes before the, before he kills them that's what one thing I really liked about that movie uh, um, before I saw mm-hmm. this so so yeah, Absolutely. I really liked. I did like that as well. And uh, there's one at one point. I think the mustache guy has his, like when he's down there, he has the light on his helmet. And he turns it off for some reason, and then gets gets it. It gets turned on to him. I thought that was a, <laughs> just before he gets shot in the head. Bang. Yeah, with the uh, and that I found that to be a weak kill. Actually, the the spike driver into his head could have been a lot better. Mm-hmm. What about that pickaxe fight scene? The pickaxe versus shovel fight? Oh, God. I loved it. Did you? I, yeah, I, I liked that. I actually kind of liked that, too. Yes. <laughs> it was great. I, it was, that, it was, I, I liked the chase at the end, and I liked the axe versus pickaxe uh, versus shovel fight. I didn't like the chase. The chase was ridiculous. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think because, like, the way they were going up that ladder, it still bothers me. It's just, <laughs> I can't go up. Dude, it's like you're up there for seven minutes. I get it. It takes a long time to climb 2700 feet i get that that's fine but you're in a freaking movie and oh gosh cut it man give me some more gore or something yeah exactly oh and and your red herring is axel drowns (laughs) well we can do nothing about axel so he's gone let's get out of here (laughs) i thought that was a good leadership decision actually for once in a horror movie when oh without a doubt without a doubt he's like it's 60 feet down let's go (laughs) no we gotta go we can't save him he's gone let's get out of here (laughs) actually let's see how something you don't normally see in horror movies no we need to save him No, it just gave him to ex- an excuse of like he didn't really die. He's actually the killer. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, did we miss anything? I think we got it pretty pretty well covered, right? I think so. The um, let's see. 
Yeah, I think I, I think so. Oh, what about the ballad at the end? I, I liked that. The ballad during the credits. That was that was I actually turned special. it off right after it was. <laughs> oh, over you missed off, out on so a, did a I. great so did song. I didn't then. watch the ballad. I am sorry. Yeah, you really missed out on a great, great piece of a song. The soundtrack to this is, is just fantastic. So <laughs> I don't know. I really did like the pickaxe versus shovel fight, though. It reminded me of a few dollars more, you know. It, it was when a man with a pickaxe meets a man with a shovel. Yeah, you said the man with the pickaxe would be a dead man. No, I don't know. It, it was it was kind of fun. I mean, it it was fine. I actually, I mean, that. nowadays, and again, this is just a dated movie. I think that nowadays this would be a great fight. Yeah, but when and they the got chase into that, would be great. It, like Michael Bay did this chase and this pickaxe versus shovel fight would be fantastic. Not fine, but I mean, they go in this little room and then it became like ridiculous and there's like yeah uh let me try to hit you and go as slow as i can to hit you and then oops i hit the wall darn yeah. it it collapsed on your arm and i'm getting away and happy bloody valentine sarah <laughs> yeah and then he does this crazy laugh axel does this crazy yeah, laugh afterward he's like <laughs> I'm like, oh. yeah, I also think they had a missed opportunity with his psych psychopathness. You know, he is this child that dealt with this trauma watching right. his father get murdered, yeah. but he was totally normal from other accounts. And I, I think if they had subtly, you know, showed these weird qualities and these weird comments of him kind of leading up to it that wouldn't have been really obvious. But in hindsight, you could have gone, oh, yeah, of course that was him. Mm -hmm. Then I think that really could have added to the, the weakened story, but they just did not do that. Well, and that's exactly what you were saying earlier is that they, they really sold it at the end. They, you didn't get an idea that there was a different, there was a different killer at all. It just, you felt like this Harry Warden guy was the guy because they didn't tell you until the very end that, you know, he had died five years ago. They're basically saying we have no hit. We have no history of, of, uh, of this Harry Warden guy. We don't know what you're talking about, even though he committed so many, murders and you know he <laughs> almost died in this accident no they they didn't do any of that there were so many missed opportunities to to be able to build the axel character up or, or, or whoever the killer was and then all of a sudden you know he does this crazy laugh and says happy bloody valentine <laughs> yep good lord yeah Not exactly <laughs> Andy, we miss I, don't, I don't think we missed anything here. No. All right. Uh, Anya, our special guest, thank you so much again for coming on. Uh, Horror More with Anya Gore. Is this movie good? Is it bad? Is it a classic? And what are you going to rate it out of a zero out of five? All right. It's bad. But I understand why some people think it's a classic. Maybe people that haven't watched a lot of really good classic horror movies might say it's a classic. That's fine. Um, and I'm going to give it two out of five. And the, the only reason it gets two out of five was because it had potential. Mm -hmm. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I got nothing more. I didn't like it. Andy. So this is a classic. All right. And we wouldn't be talking about it today if it weren't. I don't think uh, it's it's. Uh, it's a lot of people, like Anya said, it's a lot of people's favorite movie, apparently Quentin Tarantino's favorite slasher movie. Uh, and I think there's good reasons for that. I, I, I don't have great uh, refutations to you guys' arguments, but, uh, you know, there there are things that I liked about this movie. And I can see why in its era it was, uh, it, it, it 
stood the test of time or whatever. I mean, that it continues to be watched to today. Uh, I think the main issue with this movie is that it's really dated. Mm-hmm. Like, if you went back to 1981 and watched this through the lens of somebody from that era, I think it, it becomes a, a much better movie. And the interactions between young people are just so unrealistic and silly in this movie it detracts from it where we've seen you know we have reality TV and stuff now the acting would be a lot better um the setting at Valentine's Day, the gimmick of the actual heart and the heart-shaped candy box, the killer's look, I lo- I think were really great. I think all that stuff was really great. I think there was a lot to like here actually. Um, if you look through that, if if you look through that lens and haven't watched, you know, thirty years of slasher movies, forty years of slasher movies since this came out. Um, so I, I guess I think it's a classic. I would give it three stars. Mm. Boy, I guess I'm the deciding vote here. Huh. I see. <laughs> Both of you make very valid points. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you, Anya, and say this is a classic because, I mean, it's actually kind of helped with the slasher genre, whether good or for bad, you know, as far as helping with storyline and stuff like that. It also kind of added to it. I think a lot of people really, really do enjoy this movie a lot. Um, for me personally, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't find it like to me. Um, it did have a nice twist to it, although they didn't sell it a lot. That that I think that's the main problem. Like if they'd have set that up, I think it could have been much better. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. But there's so many other things that right. they could have done to make this movie a lot better. Right. I'm going to give you a perfect example: Sleepaway Camp. It was such a simple plot. Right. You didn't know who the killer was, and then they they had that big nice curveball, which you should have figured out from the beginning of who the killer was or, or, or should have expected this. But I think, you know, the twist was nice at the end, but I'm also going to agree with Anya that I don't like this movie. I think it's a classic. I'm going to give it two stars. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't give it any more than that because I, if I'm going to compare it to slasher movies around the same time, it's, it's gotta be like sleepaway camp. It's gotta be like Friday the 13th, yeah, right, stuff right. like that. Just mm-hmm. the campy kind of, so I, I just thought the director had this opportunity to lean into some of the humor, not take it so seriously and, and, and cut some of that stuff out to help with the plot or, or help with some of some of the way it ended. Sure. I guess. I don't know. Am I? I agree. I feel like with the poor acting and with the people and I kept calling them kids, too, even though they're not kids, but they really <laughs> acted like kids. Um they just weren't listening. They still had a party. They were pretending that, you know, this wasn't really happening. And I feel like they really could have played that up and made it really kind of cheesy and hokey on purpose. But because it took itself so seriously and really focused on this ridiculously stupid love story, <laughs> that That's true. it just focused on the wrong things and really missed out on so much potential. I agree. Although I, I was going to give it a one and a half, but Hollis's mustache to bumped it up a half star for me. <laughs> it, his look was incredible. And that guy was that guy was my favorite character. That, in the movie. that was a minor for sure. I mean, that's appropriate mustache for a minor. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Raleigh fingers, right, handlebar, exactly. twisted. Oh, that. man, legendary. If I could do that, I would do it totally. Yeah. So it sounds like this mar- <laughs> this movie is really in the, uh, is a good candidate for a remake, right? And it got remade in 2009. <laughs> so be really, now I'm really interested so, to see the remake, yeah. which I haven't seen. Well, see, I, and, and the, you said that, I mean, you said that it gets better reviews from, from the audience, which is the reviews no, that. No, no, this, this movie got This better. movie got better, okay. Like, but but to right. me, I, I guess the litmus test of a classic is getting a remake. But I, again, I can see why people really, really um, feel this movie and love this movie. But sure. I, I didn't. Sure. Just like Anya. Yes. All right, Anya, thank you so much for coming on. Pour and more with Anya Gore. We highly recommend checking out her podcast. What do you have coming up uh, as far as your, uh, you, you got some stuff coming up with Malevolent Productions and other things like that? I do. Um, I have a couple. We're, we're getting involved in some magazines, so we're trying you. to work on some stuff to get published. Um, so I'm not really going to say any more than that at this time until... It, everything gets finalized. So we're working on that. I have a really cool shoot tomorrow and it's going to be a shoot where I have to give a, a trigger warning that it's could trigger people and nobody gets harmed. So those are my favorite kind of shoots. Those are my favorite shoots I, of yours too. I, I've seen you put that up a lot on your pictures that you say nobody got hurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to because sometimes people actually will message me or reach out to me and say, this is a trigger for me. I don't want to see a dead body in a suitcase being dragged around. So I feel like it's, it's out of respect of some people who do get triggered. And especially when it comes to dead bodies. Yeah. You know, Yeah, but, uh, and then I've got a couple more podcast episodes coming up. Um, one of which, and I will get into detail, but, um, I found out about the term white fragility recently and, um, it was used as me being the person with white fragility, which Hmm. I didn't feel like I was, but I've really learned a lot over the past two weeks about indigenous lives in Canada. And I cannot wait to share it because there is so much going on in Canada that I don't know if a lot of people know, but it's like really intense out here. And there's hundreds of women that have gone missing, indigenous women that have gone missing, and they're just not talking about it. Wow. That's amazing. We so can, stay tuned. Again, heavy topics, I'm aware. No, but we, we get that. And like I said, you know, go listen to our latest episode, Why You Should Listen to My Podcast. Uh, is that episode 10 for you? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, go listen to it. I, mean, I should I should know that off the top of my head, but I don't. <laughs> I just threw a curveball at her. <laughs> you did. You're putting me on the spot. My bad. <laughs> All right. Go listen to Horror More with Anya Gore. Uh, coming up next week, we are going to be talking about a brand new mo- movie called Seder. And then uh, we're going to wrap up the month with Anything for Jackson, which you can find on Shudder. Uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Listen to wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we're talking Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and go go follow us on any of our social medias. And don't forget to go follow Anya Gore. It's A N Y A G O R R E on Instagram, and go listen to her wherever you get your podcast. Anya, thank you again so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend, and thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me.